We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Welcome back, Gator Nation, to the podcast. My name is Alan Williams, right here next to James DiVirgilio. Got a great show for you guys today. Former Gator and Washington Redskins star Matt Jones on the program. We have the play-by-play guy for Arkansas. It's a great interview. But first, a big win over the Georgia Bulldogs. James, what do we learn about this team? Do we learn anything new? Well, I, I learned that no one barked at me this time for the first time forever. We had a little game last week and how many people would bark at you. And yeah. no one, which was really unfortunate. You I, think they were down? I don't know. I lost my prime tailgating spot, so I was actually on the Pros, when the job demands more of the supplies you use most, start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, we stock the right quantities you need for any size job and at everyday savings, like up to 30% off drywall, drywall accessories, and insulation every day when you buy in bulk. Order at Lowe'sForPros.com and we'll have your order ready for pickup with dedicated pro loaders to get you loaded up and back to the job site faster. For your next job and the next, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. On the Florida side this time, which is unusual for me. Normally I'm on the Georgia side, not by choice, but that's where that spot was. So maybe that's what it was, but but no barking. I learned that. It did seem like the Georgia fans were also down. Yeah, you know what? I In the stadium, I was really disappointed. They started filing out, which I'm happy to see them file out, you know, when it's time for them to go. But they left really early. Like when it was still very much a game. Something fluky happens, fumble in there, you know, fumbled snap, anything. And they're leaving. So uh, shame on you, Georgia fan, for leaving as early as you did. Yeah, you were pretty fired up about that when that was going down, which the Georgia fans behind us, I think, who were staying until the end, uh, were, were making funny faces at that. But we said last week that I thought the spread should have been at 13 and a half before I would have felt like this game would be something I'd even consider betting Georgia on. And so interestingly enough, we wound up pointing by 14 and really it shouldn't have been that close. So not sure what Vegas saw. We learned, I think, everything we thought we already knew coming into the game. You know, we broke Just down the matchup stats. Bit. Yeah, we broke up the matchup stats last week. We saw the significant advantages that we had. And we also saw some things we know, which is that our red zone offense continues to be amongst the worst in the nation. We were three out of four in this particular game. We missed a field goal, but we don't always convert in there. Our quarterback play is mediocre at best. We'll talk more on that later. And our defense is outstanding. 
One thing that we did learn was that we are capable of actually playing penalty-free football. We played an entire second half, and that game was zero penalties. And that was, to me, actually very encouraging because it shows that given all the off days we had, we put them into good use. And after the rust kind of kicked out from the first half, we played a a relatively perfect um, technical game with regards to penalties, something we had not even come close to doing. So pretty solid there. The the wide receiver fall starts still kill me. We had two of those in the beginning of the game. You should have like one or two of those a year. That's inexcusable. But after that, you know, you know, just stuff that's going to happen in the course of play, defensive pass interference, intentional grounding, you know, not a great personal foul call on our, our boy Voshan Joseph there. But let me ask you this. We talked about this as being a, a potential factor, you know, not playing a lot in the previous month. Did you feel like the team came out rusty? Yes. Yes, I do. And I think when both freshmen make those wide receiver false starts and you just sort of look at the way the execution was – uh, the the the, not the the defense was more or less ready, I felt like, but the offense, little out of sync, and and that you would expect. It's our youngest unit. You know, veterans are going to be able to handle the bye. Something we talked about exactly. The younger players, you can't replicate the game as well. They're a little more excited, a little more jittery. I thought that came through. We talked a lot about the importance of getting a really good start in that game with regards to us blowing them out, and I think that would have been true. You could imagine a scenario where if we had jumped up on them early on that game would have gotten really really ugly given where georgia was but that wasn't the case and so it was 14 10 at halftime and i think in the second half we we pretty much controlled the game again offense still not where you want it to be but defensively they they had like 20 yards i think for a long stretch of that second half had a very hard time getting a first down or even completing a pass and and that's what you would want to see the second half should have mattered more in that game given how infrequently we played. And we played a really good second half for the most part with regards to execution. Yeah, the, we talked about this. That was a horrible start for this team. Interception, um, giving up, you know, kind of that scramble play, touchdown, drive, really every play they had was, you know, off a broken play. Offense not executing. That could have gone really poor for their team, but there were still moments in the first half where if we execute just a little bit better, or even in the beginning of the second half, or we're a few plays away from momentum building and that being a blowout. I felt like we killed our momentum at every point that we had some where we needed to stop, got a, you know, we went out three and out when we shouldn't have. You know, we could have put on another score at the end of the first half instead we went backwards. So there's moments there where we get them desperate and this score is a lot bigger. But that didn't happen. So before we get into it, hey, you know what? I think sometimes Florida fans, we can be a little critical. Let's talk about some things we can celebrate from this game. Firstly, a win over UGA. Now, this marks a coach's tenure. When you look at how successful he is, one of the things you look at is how do you do against the rivals, Georgia, Florida State, Tennessee. So big win for McIlwain is now 2-0 against Georgia. That really helps. Um, so, yeah, anytime you can beat your rival, I don't care what the records are, that's something to celebrate. What's something that you thought was worth celebrating in this game? Oh, there were a lot of things. I mean, really, I think there were just a few things we'll talk about later that, that weren't worth celebrating. But uh, one, I thought that the the fans' interest in the game was really high, probably because we haven't played in a long time. But it seemed like there were a lot of Gator fans in Jacksonville, which there typically are. And it seemed like a lot of them weren't into the game. So, so good from that side of things. As far as the team goes... I felt like we had much better special teams play this game. Hmm. We had been kind of dogging on that all year long, and it had been pretty bad. I know we missed a field goal, but that you can't really hang that on a coach per se. But I thought overall the execution on special teams was, was very good. Excellent punting, 
good kick return. Uh, we'll talk about Chris Thompson in a little bit. I thought he really made an impact on both sides of the ball. So there was that. And then defensively, just really another masterclass performance from, from Jeff Collins and the boys. It's an NFL-like defense when it's executing on that level. And, and Georgia just really never had a shot to move the ball, especially once we adjusted to their sort of Jacob Eason rolling out of the pocket and making plays. That was it for them. We could have played that game probably for another three hours, and, I, and I'm pretty sure Georgia was not going to score. That's not easy to do. Yeah, we crushed them on every level there. They had nothing going on. It was that one drive that was funny. Like Everyone just kept losing their minds on those scramble drills. And uh, Yeah, the overall, I think the defense... I was impressed by their willingness to play hurt as well. Jared Davis, I would I didn't think he was going to play in this game. I know other people were optimistic, but he looked fantastic out there. Incidentally, saw him today at Moe's walking around, looked great. No boot, no limp. So that's a plus, Gator fans. But all those guys on the defensive line, Sherrod, Cox, um, Joey, Ivy, you know, they weren't 100%, I know, and they played really well. I think the coaching staff did a good job of limiting their snaps too. Um, so played a ton of guys out there on the defensive line. They did well. Uh, secondary, for the most part, played excellent. Um, Duke Dawson had a really nice game. Marcel Harris had a really nice game. He was excellent tackling in the open field. So let's get into how did we stop them? What did we do that frustrated them so much? Well, we harped a lot on the Tennessee game, and I'd asked the question on that Monday is Jeff Collins a guy who's going to say this is our identity? We play cover one press man, and that's who we are. And I had said if that was the case, I'd be really concerned that strategically we're sort of playing with one arm tied behind our back. Well, Jeff Collins has answered the question that no, we are not that. And if anything, he's shown that he's learned from a mistake he made. We have been mixing it up with every single team we have played since then. We ran a ton of zone against Jacob Eason. And the first half, UGA expected a lot of man routes. When you went back and watched the film, most of their routes were based upon man principles, which we were rarely ever in. So it's very difficult to move the ball on us if you're assuming man and you run a man route and all of a sudden you get a cover two under or you get any sort of zone and you have no time to throw the ball. So really, really good by Jeff Collins. Really, really good by the defense. I thought our game plan was really, really sound. But obviously that all starts with the dominance we had on the line of scrimmage. When you are absolutely dominating line of scrimmage like that, anything you do is going to look good. Um, and, and we did that. And that's something I think we did a lot in the Tennessee game and didn't profit from because he hit his first read. Jacob Eason's first read was open twice the whole game, two times out of the 33 times he dropped back. So great, great job by them in preparation during the bye week. The defense really, really played well. There's a few little blips on the radar. Marcus May got caught in a cover two where Tabor released him. Marcus May rolls in the middle to help Anzalone on a read. He should never be helping Anzalone in. And uh, they should have completed that pass. Obviously a pretty large pass really before the half. But outside of that, and then an open drag route they dropped, and then the scramble drill stuff, which we immediately shut down, there really wasn't much you could pick on. In the second half, it was a nearly flawless defensive performance. Yeah, and I agree. That's the challenge with running a zone, though, is you're going to have a couple of those moments maybe where our safeties who are good moving forward and good... Um, making tackles can get confused back there. Yeah, the defensive line's dominance that doesn't show up in the sack rate. You know, not a ton of sacks or even tackles for loss. But when Georgia tried to run the ball and they wanted to be able to run the ball, there was nothing. Nick Chubb, who is a star, looked so pedestrian. He did not. I, maybe there's still something wrong with him health wise. I wouldn't be surprised by that. But even the other guys that put back there, Sony Michelle, those guys had nothing. I mean, they're. 
their yards per carry and their total rushing yards is embarrassing. Um, so that's what, we, and, and we talked about this with gap control, having a couple of those guys back like Sherritt and Cox, where there's not a hole, there's no hole to run through. Those guys do so well as a unit, pressuring the quarterback, making it difficult. Even if they're not getting their sack wise, they're not flying up the field, letting loose plays most of the time. Um, and then the run game that really showed up. So that was really impressive. Yeah. And the times we struggled, Brian was in there and he's improving each week, but anytime we have some of the younger guys in there, they, they struggle to set the edge on the defense. And that actually happened during Eason's drive when he was rolling out twice. We just sort of had some, some, some poor moves with regards to the defensive line, not setting the edge. I was okay with it. I know in the stands, I looked at you and said, they're not going to get that again. We're going to adjust. And we, and we did, we stopped sending our edge rushers at the, the spot. You know, when you're rushing from the edge, your primary goal is to get to the spot. I did either a three-step, five-step, or seven-step drop. We stopped doing that, and we started to do more of an edge gap control. But at times in the past, if you haven't had some of the more veteran guys in there, like Cox and Sherrod and Ivy, uh, the gap control becomes an issue. But with our with our, with our our starters in there, with those guys playing, even though they're injured, just really, really ended any threat that Georgia had. So great job by the defense like we said just a few small things that are going to happen in every single game you look at them on tape you hope they get even better but we also knew that Georgia was was probably prone to have this happen their their rushing offense wasn't very good of course it wasn't this bad this was their lowest output they've had in a long time held to you know under 150 yards they had 1.1 yards per rush their leading rusher was Jacob Eason Complete, complete dominance. Complete, complete dominance by the defense. They won us this game yet again. We are a defensive team. We are molding ourselves into the Baltimore Ravens of the early 2000s that won the Super Bowl. And uh, so far, so good. If you take away the one half of football against Tennessee, this defense has been... Which is looking like the outlier now. It is looking like the outlier. And it has been, in fact, this elite special defense that we thought. And when you mix it up, it's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. And, you know, I was impressed with Eason as well. Jacob Eason, freshman quarterback for Georgia... I was confident he was going to throw us a football, that we were going to get an interception. He never even really came close. He threw every ball away they needed to. Maybe they need to be more aggressive because they didn't win the game. But a lot of poise for a young guy out there. He's going to be really good, I think. And also, impressed with our O-line from this standpoint. No penalties. That means no false starts, no holding penalties. Georgia doesn't have a fantastic defensive line, but that's still a good showing from our offensive line. We've given them, um, you know some heat for their play and, you know, they're a young group, but uh, was impressed with that. Yeah. I still have a lot of questions about the offensive line. I think that they, several plays we, we blew up and missed on the penalties aspect. Like you said, is something to anchor to that was better. Those are things that you can control. And we've said all along, if you have a line that's not as talented as they could be, you can't ask them to always win their one-on-one matchups, but you can ask them not to make penalties. And, And they did that. So that's marked improvement. But if you're going through the stat sheet, you know, we rushed the ball 48 times in that game for 2.1 yards a rush. If you take out the sacks, it was about three yards a rush. We controlled time of possession. We had 37 minutes of possession, yet we were never really able to fully run the ball at Georgia and really just sort of gouge them, which is disappointing. We had a really hard time generating yards, even though we had a short field consistently. So is that a talent thing at this point in time? Maybe. These guys are young. They're still figuring things out. They didn't miss a lot of assignments in this game as much as they just... We just have a hard time creating push. At times, we had nine offensive linemen, quote-unquote. You know, get all your tight ends in there, your running backs. Nine guys blocking when Luke Del Rio would hand the ball off against seven-man fronts, and we get two yards. 
That is inexplicable. You have a two-man advantage in the box. And Georgia did not have to ever bring another man in to equal out the numbers. You ought to be able to get seven or eight yards on that play. So we're not there yet. But like we said, let's anchor to the fact that the penalties went away, which had been killing us in these games. And if we can clean that up alone, we continue to show that we can possess the ball, which is important. And we can win the field position battle, which was probably the best thing we did on Saturday. We completely controlled the field position in this game just from the from the get-go. Once that turnover was done and they cashed in their three points, the rest of the game Georgia had the whole entire field to go, and we had half the field to go. So that was a big thing for us to win. It's something our team's going to need to continue to do if we want to be able to compete with the better teams in the SEC. Yeah, something I want to mention too. I, I felt like the defense and the special teams keeping us in plus yardage on field position, you know, outside from Callaway's fumble, which we might have to talk about should he be replaced at that spot later as punt returner. But so that was a red flag, Callaway at punt returner still. And let's move to maybe a few more red flags. You've mentioned it, but this is what I wanted to bring up is yards per carry. That these are two talented running backs in Scarlet and P. Ryan back there. Um, it's not just plotters where you're like handing the ball and trying to get you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. We really wanted to run the ball. And we talked about who's going to – our key to victory was who had better rushing yards. And we had much better rushing yardage. Scarlet, 26 carries, 93 yards. That's not bad. That's fine. But you would have hoped there had been a lot more explosive plays, especially with our commitment to running the ball. Rarely a run over 10 yards, maybe one or two. And so that felt like we were – it was a slog. The game was kind of boring because of that, because of our commitment to running the ball and then not being able to do it. If we had been able to run the ball even like 10 to 20% better, we would have absolutely obliterated them. They would have had no hope of ever stopping us. But that's not what happened. So that was a little frustrating for me that Georgia's not a great team against the run. I was hoping we'd be able to run the ball a little bit better. We didn't. Well, Georgia, as we mentioned on the show last week, they are a top 25 rushing defense. So that was kind of like strength on strength. And I think, like we said at the opener, stat-wise, this game just went how you would expect it to be. I know I got in a lot of discussions last week with people about, hey, don't you think the offense is going to turn a corner? Don't you think they're due? Don't you think this is their time? And I think that the reality is we continue to be what our stats say we are, which is an inefficient offense. We don't put points on the board. We don't score very well in the red zone. We're not very good at running the ball. Uh, We struggle to make passes when we need to. We struggle to hit big plays. That's just who we are. That doesn't mean we can't win. It doesn't even mean I'm being negative. But I think when you look at the stat line this past weekend, it reflected exactly who our team's current identity is. We continue to make strides and get better. And oh, by the way, we're 11-0 now when Jim McElwain's had his starting quarterback. We're 12-2 before the month of November, I think, under Jim McElwain two years in a row. So lots of stuff to be happy about. One thing, though, that is a major concern that continues to be one is our quarterback play. So McElwain said in his first press conference, something that will probably live with him forever until our quarterback issues are over, is that his dog could play quarterback. Well, Luke Del Rio really seems to have regressed. When you look at him on film, his footwork is gone. He throws off his back foot. The pick that he threw, it was a simple two-man read. So he's running. A, he's reading a corner to the right, so your first read is high corner. And then you're going to read your in route coming over the middle of the field. So if the team's in cover two or cover three, that in route is your read. It's over the linebacker under the safety. He rolls to the right. He checks. Immediately, Georgia's into cover three. So that corner drops back into the gap. Their cover two safety squeezes it out. That's not open. By the time he turns his head to the obvious next read, and there are only two guys going out for a pass, it's way late. 
He then compounds his problems by throwing across his body over the middle while leaving his feet. Basically, in one play, he illustrates all the things you would never want to do as a quarterback. Now, he's young. You can make these kind of mistakes. But for a guy who's supposed to be a heady game manager, that's a bad mistake. Uh, as the game went on, he did make some crucial throws. So at times, he converted some long third downs, which was very good. But I felt like pre-snap read-wise, it was his worst game. He was routinely very wrong with who his first pre-snap read look was. And I'm sure that's also going to show up on film. And post-snap read, he was very, very slow to recognize what was on the field. There are multiple times when he could have read a hot blitz, hit a drag route that would have been big yardage. He missed schools behind a wide-open throw. He underthrew Callaway when Callaway toasted his guy in a go route to the corner. We left a lot of plays in the field in the passing game. But I just think we're going to continue to do that. For me... I don't see us waving a wand and all of a sudden Luke Del Rio starts delivering really good on-time passes. I just think that's kind of who we are, and it's going to be variable week to week. We can still win with that, but I'm not sure, like some other fans out there, I think that all of a sudden this is the week that Luke Del Rio goes out and starts throwing for 300 yards every single week and covering people up. I'm not sure he has that in his toolkit. And what that means for the future is not to be answered right now, other than, hey, putting a freshman in there right now is not the answer. Our defense is so good that getting the upside of maybe having a guy make a few decent throws but then not having any idea how to pre-snap read a defense or post-snap read a defense probably doesn't make him better than Luke Del Rio at this point. But I say all that to say it's frustrating. If this team had a quarterback, we would be a really, really good football team. Really good. I mean, I think we'd have a legitimate shot at beating an Alabama team and playing for a national title. But minus an actual guy that can deliver the ball, I don't know where we are. And we're going to find out because the month of November is going to be one of the best November schedules we have on the road at Arkansas, home against the South Carolina team that beat Tennessee, away against LSU, away against Florida State. We are going to know what our team is made of. All of these questions will be answered as we sit upon this, this great November slate of football. But right now I sit and look and say, I just wish we had a quarterback. Yeah, that's, I think the easy thing to come away from this game was Luke did not have a good game. There's two plays in particular, the one that you mentioned, and another one where it's a play we run all the time, where it's a rollout, and there's basically two minutes, like a high-low read, and our tight end, I believe it was Goolsby or maybe Lewis, is running wide open. We need a first down. We need like four yards for a first down here. He is super open. There's going to be a 20-yard gain. It's like he didn't even see it, and he threw – I believe he overthrew the receivers incomplete regardless. But that seemingly is the type of play you have him in the game for, is that quick one-two read, hit the open man. Now, we don't want him to check down all the time, but this is the moment where you check down. It's it's not even a bad – it's a great check down because the guy underneath is wide open. But I think the thing that makes Gator fans hopeful as well, there's a few moments, a, a few third and longs. There's a third and ten where he made – a big throw over the middle of the field on time picked up the first down yardage that really the, you know the game was a little iffy at that moment and you know that was an important play for us so oh gosh you're right he's never going to be the gunslinger but if he can get a little bit better at some of these other plays we're asking him to do he can still pick up those third and tens so I don't know. I, you're right. I don't think the ceiling the ceiling on this offense has been lowered for me. I said at the beginning of the year that this Luke Delry was maybe my breakout player because of what I thought he could do with those kind of weapons, and he's not that guy, at least not yet. I don't seemingly like he won't be, but that's okay. You're right. We can win. Def- we can win games with this incredible defense, playing good special teams, and you know not turning the ball over. We can beat 
most teams that way. Um, any other thing about the offense that stood out to you? I thought that not having Thompson there led to us converting a lot more of our short yardage situations. Interesting. And we've we've mentioned it quite a bit on the show that when you watch the film, Thompson has routinely just gone rogue and left the blocks. In this game, we converted 50% of our third downs, and we converted, I think, 100% of our third and shorts after the first half. I think in the first half, we'd maybe left two or three out there. But in the second half especially, every time it was third and one or third and two or fourth and one, we were converting, and on every single one of those, the running backs patiently followed the lead blockers. They did not go rogue. They did not take somebody on -on one-on-one. They just waited and followed the blockers, and they took the yards that were there for them. That was a marked improvement for this team. We had said that we would have blown some other teams out by more had we just done that. I don't know if that's going to spur Thompson on this week in the film room to say, hey, look, I need to be doing that. I'm the biggest guy on this team. If I just follow my blockers, I'm going to be the best at that skill set. Hopefully it does. So I thought that was really impressive on the takeaway there. That helped the team. We needed to be able to do that since we weren't running the ball for a lot of yards. We needed to be able to convert, and And we did. That was impressive at the end of the game. In the fourth quarter, when we needed to like really chew up some clock, picked up a lot of third and shorts, fourth and shorts, and basically put the game, to, it was mostly out of reach, put it all the way out of reach. And that was an impressive lot, drive by the offensive line. Georgia knew we were running it, and you know we still were able to pick up three yards a clip, right? So none of the explosive plays, but still solid plays. And so, yeah, pluses for the offensive line and the running backs for being able to know where to go to pick up those yards. Yeah, a few other news and notes from film study, like we mentioned, is that the pre-snap breeze will be something they're going to be looking at a lot this week. Kirby Smart employed a lot of weak side blitzes in the second half and really, really messed with Luke. If anything, on film, you saw that Luke didn't didn't identify a single blitz that came from a non-obvious position in that entire game. Even though we routinely had the right call on for that blitz, we missed huge opportunities to make them pay for that. That'll be a big point of emphasis this week, without a doubt. Uh, Siante Lewis must be a listener of the show, and we're going to talk about him on my highlight on our little you know best player of the game reel. But Siante Lewis, phenomenal. We're going to get into why that was, but he must listen because we called him out last week. <laughs> so that, that's a that's a news and note we get in there. And then lastly, we employed the pistol formation a lot this week, which was interesting. We didn't really have a lot of success out of it. It's something new on tape to look at. We've done it before, but we employed it a lot against Georgia. I think we thought that we had some matchups we could win on that we didn't really win on. But uh, it was there. And, and the play fakes. The, we continue to make just what I consider to be horrific play fakes on play action, reverse fa- reverse fakes, for a team that's built upon a play fake. I'm not sure if this is a coaching point. Certainly Macklin was at Alabama where they would run some great fakes. And certainly Mark Richt is the best play faker of all time, right? You can recall some of those hide-the-ball situations with Georgia quarterbacks. But we just sort of half-heartedly run play action. I don't understand that. It's not hard to fix that, but we seem to not have a care about it, and it is affecting us. It is absolutely affecting our efficiency because these the blitzing linebackers don't ever have to stop because the fake is not executed. So something to keep looking for. I, they have to address it at some point, at least I hope. Um, and then lastly, like the Jets sweep for a touchdown was a great, great play call to Callaway. I love that execution. It's a little bit of tip of the cap to the fact that you're realizing that, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't really want Luto Real running these third and two kind of plays. We're not having a lot of success with them in the red zone. Let's do something unconventional. So really good job by them to put a play in that we had not run. Very simple old school jet sweep. It worked for a touchdown. That was a very important touchdown. I'd like to see us do more of that. Simple plays that you can execute. 
that are outside of our typical offensive scope. I think we're going to need that in some of these big games down the road. We will, and I love that as well. It's frustrating, too. It's funny. I feel like every time Fullwood runs on the field, it's a running play. Like He's rarely in passing situations. I don't know. I don't have all the stats on that, um, but it seems like we're tipping our hand a little bit when we're running and when we're passing, and we want to be the opposite of that. And that's that's been a struggle for us to confuse teams on what we're doing when we're doing it which I felt like at the beginning of last year, that was something McElwain was doing really well. So I don't know if it's just us not getting to a rhythm, us not picking up the required yardage on some of the plays that would allow us to be a little more, I don't know, mysterious, I guess, on offense. Um, so from that perspective, I did like a little bit of flash and dash on that play. It's the maybe bare minimum flash and dash. But yeah, great play call by the coaches. So let's look now at our stars of the game. Always a fun segment. Who impressed us? the most this past weekend some of these guys are obvious but alan let's start with you i'm gonna start with chris thompson we've mentioned him a couple times already um he's an excellent special teams player both ways so on covering punts and kicks he's got the speed um to get down there and harass people on punts um make some great tackles on kickoffs and i think he can be a guy can give us some leverage in the in the kicking game i think p ryan um i like him back there um because he's got some nice burst but if he's going to be one of the two backs that we have available you know they don't think they want to use him back there but i think he could give us some some big returns in the king game so i was impressed with him and, and glad that he's healthy and making an impact i really liked Siante lewis and and i just tipped my hand on that but <laughs> I, I just called him out last week and said hey our tight ends have been underachieving this is this is a bummer and he just came out and let the world on fire he made as good of a catch as you'll see early on in that game then he gets a pass interference call when he wins on a seam route uh, that we wind up scoring on so really, really impactful. Did a great job blocking. Really, really stood out on film after the fact. So great, great job by him. We needed a big game from one of our tight ends, and we got it. Hopefully, that's going to give him confidence to go forward to be a guy that can be a matchup problem. Our offense requires our tight ends to be able to make those catches, stretch the field vertically. He did that. That was awesome. You know, I mentioned Marcel Harris earlier. Had some big tackles in the open field, one behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, I thought he played well. Um, you know, he's not a guy who usually stands out on film, so I wanted to give him a little credit for that. Uh, what about you? Anybody? I mean, not a ton of stats in this game to really even pick out, but anybody else that impressed you the second time yeah. around? Jared Davis did. I thought there was no way he was going to play. And now I'm 0 for 2 this year, which makes me happy. I said, you're not going to see Cleveland again because hamstring injuries nag, and there he is in the field every week. And then Jared Davis looked like that was a high ankle sprain where he was just gone. And so to think that he played, he played the whole game. He played at a really high level. He was covering people. He was he was doing everything you should do if you're healthy. That That's awesome. It also sets a tone as the culture of the team. It, Mac always talks about not playing guys that are injured, which is important. But he also talks about the choice you have to play when you're hurt, which is a different terminology, right? That's like you've got an injury that, that feels bad, but you can play. And I think when you see these guys showing these younger guys, this is the culture of our team. You got some pain, but if you can play through it, it's not going to set you back and you can play at a high level, do it. Be a leader. Get out there. And Davis, just great, great job. That was a really pleasant surprise coming into that week. So so good for him. Excited for him to get out there and, and lead the team to a victory. One of the guys who didn't play, one of our running backs, Jordan Cronkite, um, I think made a choice, as McElwain would say, not to be on the team at this point. And, you know, I want to be slow to criticize college players, you know, if they drop a pass or false start or hold or something you know what that's all in the game this feels like um maybe a bigger choice by him and it's kind of frustrating that he's chosen seemingly to leave the team 
when he didn't have to in the middle of the year. Um, so if you're unaware, uh, you know, I guess he's not off the team totally, but it seems like he's gone from the team. We'll probably transfer. And I'm fine with people transferring overall. But this feels frustrating, especially on a week where uh, one of our other players, Mark Thompson, made another choice, got suspended. We're, you know, basically one play away from only having one real scholarship running back. And that felt like a selfish move on his part. Um, and so I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to be on the team moving forward. And that's kind of frustrating um, to watch a guy kind of, you know, give on his teammates. And again, I don't know the full situation. I don't know. There could be stuff going on in his life, but feels like pretty disappointing, I think, to the outside observer. Last week, we had asked you to like our Facebook page in order to win some free gear from fanessentials.net. Alan and I went through the random number generator, did a few magical calculations, and the wheel spun and landed on Andrew Bernard, who was our winner from last week's contest for his fanessentials.net gear. Andrew, you were going to win one month free of sporting gear from your favorite professional sports team. All you need to do is send us a message on Facebook, and we will give you the instructions on how to redeem that. Congratulations. This week, we will be doing a similar contest. All you need to do is retweet our show link on Twitter. So on Monday night, we're going to drop our show link. You can retweet that anytime during the week. You will be entered automatically. We will then choose again at random next week a winner for the fanessentials.net gear. If you're wondering what Fan Essentials is, Fan Essentials is a great way to get gear for your favorite professional sports team. Every month, they're going to send you a box full of swag. It's going to change. It will be different, and it's going to give you a chance to get some unique gear that may not be accessible in your area. If you want to sign up or you want to check it out, it makes for a great gift to family and friends. You can use the code GATERS to get 30% off your first monthly purchase. Joining us now is Matt Jones, former Florida Gator running back, current Washington Redskins running back, just got back from London. Uh, Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, man? Thank you for having me. So first off, how's how's your health? We know that you missed this past game on Sunday. How are you holding up? Uh, great, man. I'll be back. Uh, we got a bye week this week, so I'm definitely be back for the following game. Uh, I'm actually doing good right now. Excellent. That's good to hear. I wanted to ask you if you had gotten to, you know, what your thoughts on this year's Gators team and if you got to see them play a little bit and what's your impression of them overall? Uh, me personally, I just know that they're very competitive um, and great spirit. And I, I just love the way they're being coached by um, by McElwain. Um, I mean, I just feel like, you know, the current players I keep up with, you know, they're playing great. Um, Brian Cox, Marcus May, um, Jalen Tabor. You know, they're playing outstanding right now. So um, just to keep following these guys, following them guys and seeing how great they're playing and how good this team is doing. So uh, it's good for me. When you look at our running backs, do you think that either of them, and we're just going to limit it right now to, to P. Ryan and then Scarlett, do you think either of those guys have a chance to play in the NFL? Oh, of course. Yeah, man. Um I really love Scholar, man. I love the way he runs, and, and definitely P. Ryan. Um, just seeing how big he is and how he can get downhill, man. They had a bright futures ahead of them, man. They just got to keep going and keep complimenting each other because that backfield is dangerous. So you had mentioned you know several guys on the team still. What are their thoughts on McIlwain? Do they really like him as a coach? Are they buying into what he wants to do here at Florida? Yeah, most definitely, man. When I uh, talked to them guys, they said he's just a – a real cool guy, man. He just 
he gets to know you personally first, and he talks about life with you. And you know, just like most most uh, coaches don't, um, he has a, a true relationship with the players. They said, and and they really love playing for him. He's just a great guy overall. Well, let me ask you a little bit. You mentioned the running backs. Um, what is the difference in playing running back in college and playing it in the NFL? Um, knowledge, uh, just just gaining knowledge and and um, the physicality part. You know, you got to be able to take them a little bit more pounding. Um, just just fitting into the scheme. It's just a, just a lot. It's, it's not such a, a a big deal, but it's just a little thing you got to take care of. Just as far as learning the game, you know, and finding where you fit in that and. And just learning about protecting, you know, that's, a, that's the biggest thing with going from the college from the NFL, just learning how to be a protector in the backfield. Uh, so it's, it's not it's not not a big deal, but it is at the same time because the little things can turn into a big thing. So uh, when you take care of the little things, man, everything is the sky's the limit. Yeah, Matt, how much more complicated is it to to learn how to run pass pro in the NFL? Is it a matter of terminology? Is it a matter of scheme? Like, what makes it so much harder than doing it in college? Uh, definitely both with uh, it's scheme. You know, it's, it's knowledge. Uh, how fast you can, how fast you can learn your protection rules. Um, but but you know, it's really not hard. You know, once you learn the terminology and get the, the lingo down, you know, and um, you get in a good relationship with your quarterback. You know, you really can flow into things. You know, and um, and get the job done. It's simply just with just buying in and, and playing by the rules and just getting in your playbook. So it's not. I don't think it's a big deal, but. You know, at the same time, when you get in here and you can protect, you can last longer in the league. So let me ask you about uh, kind of former college teammates, you know, that you're playing with in Washington. What's that like having guys that you played with in college on your NFL team? It's great, man, just to keep that relationship going with them guys. And, and that we're, um, you know, we've been chasing the same dream since college together. And we finally get here and we're on the same team and we just in compete against our other teammates and you know that's around the league but we got you know four guys here that skaters on the team Mac Brown, Jordan Reed and Quentin Dunbar and uh, we all got a great relationship and it's funny that we all went to school together at the same time you know some just well some of us probably just left a little earlier than others but we have a uh, it's a great relationship man it's it's a little more exciting to be on the same team with some of your college players man and I'm, I'm happy to uh, be on the team with them guys for my first experience too so um, it's great. Is there a little bit of a rivalry in the locker room since there's four Gators there? Do you guys kind of talk a little bit of trash to some other schools that are represented on the team? Oh, yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, every time we're together, like I said, we kind of stick together, too, as, as on the team. And every time we get a, a compliment or somebody says something, it's like, oh, the Florida boys sticking together like always. So, so we always kind of stick together and kind of keep that chemistry going. But, you know, we got Chris Thompson, the Florida State guy, and um, – um, Hopkins, our kicker, is a Florida State guy, so we kind of kind of got a little brief going, but you know we kind of put that beside us a little bit. On Saturdays, we kind of beef it up a little bit and kind of be tense with each other when the game day is going on. But as far as that, you know, as far as any other day, we're just teammates. That's good. Well, let me ask you, thinking back to your college days, what was your favorite memory as a Gator? Um, my favorite memory as a Gator is just you know my freshman year, you know, and. Uh, Playing down in dope, and uh, I kind of sealed the game up for the for the end of the game. Um, I find guys like some playing time with Mike Gillis. He got hurt. I'm um, going in and just running a, I think it was a 52 yarder, you know, to the house, um, and scoring and sealing the game up. And 
it, I, that's kind of a memory I'll never forget, and definitely against them guys. Uh, that's kind of my biggest memory I ever had. So, I mean, I cherish it, and I really love it. So this week we're playing against Arkansas, and we've only played them 10 times ever, and you happened to play against them one time in 2013 at home. Do you recall anything about that game, about Arkansas in general or Brett Bielema? Arkansas was a really tough team. Um, but I know, you know, when, you know, we're Gators, so, you know, when we hop out on people, he's kind of over. So um, last year, I meant when that year I played, uh, we just kind of, we just kind of got up, you know, and I uh, really didn't have so much of a big game, but everybody played a part in the game to, to overcome it. So um, they're, they're a tough team, and it's, it's going to be, you know, another challenge, a big challenge for us. All right, Matt, so your story, your road to the NFL, you were a highly touted guy in high school, four-star recruit. You come on Florida, you had some injuries, you get drafted in the third round in the NFL, you fight to earn your spot. If present-day Matt Jones is writing a letter to senior in high school Matt Jones, what are some words of wisdom he would have given him? Uh, first of all, take care of your body. Um, you know, you have a nick, just don't, you know, go home and go to sleep and things are going to be all right. Um, just take care of your body, man. And um, just sec- second, just stay focused and don't, don't let anything take you off your course, you know, because you easily can, you know, come out of high school, get distracted by the little things, you know, stuff going on at home, um, you know, just little stuff like that. You know, you got to stay the course and, and remain remain humble and um, just continue what you what you're playing a game for, you know, and that's trying to make a better living for yourself and it's trying to make your make your name known um uh, throughout this whole world. So I just tell myself, you know, just you know, stay humble. Um just take care of the little things, take care of your body. Um just cherish your body, man. That's it. That's your that's your moneymaker right there. So uh them kind of the things I tell myself and I think if I'd have knew that earlier, I think I'd have been a little more healthier throughout my, my football career. All right, let me get a couple predictions from you here. First prediction, do the Redskins make the playoffs this year? Yes, we do. Um, we just got a definitely big challenge, you know, with the Cowboys winning a little bit. They're playing a little – they're playing good this year. So, um, we just got to stay the course. And, you know, we're playing, we're playing good football right now, good offense and good defense. So, um, we just got to stay the course, man, and continue just to pull together. Uh, we just – as a Redskins team, we just know we fight for each other. And when it's all on the line, we got each other back. So, we just got to stay the course. And, All right, uh, and then, you know, in the East. Yeah, so, and maybe along with the Gators this weekend, do the Gators win this game, and do you think they're, the Gators are going to win the East? Oh, most definitely, man. I always believe in my Gators, and they're definitely going to win on Saturday. Um, and take this away, and they're definitely going to win the East, and, man, getting into them a championship game. Perfect, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us today. We enjoyed talking with you. Best of luck during the bye week. Hopefully you'll get a chance to check out uh, the game this weekend on TV. All right, thank you, man. Go good. Let's do my favorite segment every single week, the SEC Roundup. And oh, what a wild SEC that it has been. So let's save the best one for last, the one that made all of us celebrate the most. We'll save that for last. Let's instead start with the always fun Kentucky Wildcat team, which, oh, by the way, apparently is kind of good now, taking down Missouri 35-21. Yeah, kind of a decent win for the Gators looking back how well we played against Kentucky. They're getting better. I, I guess moving closer to bowl eligibility that could stay save Mark Stoops. They are, and they're beating teams they should be, like Missouri, who is a total dumpster fire. So 
Samford took on Mississippi State, which if you're a Mississippi State fan, that was not a safe game. Turned out not to be a safe game. Mississippi State wins 56-41. to 41. Man, uh, tough times in Starkville when you can't even count your cupcakes as cupcakes. Ugh, that's all I can say about that. Auburn, in a really good game with Ole Miss, who once again cannot finish a game off at the end. Auburn wins 40-29, but it was not a 56-3 to win. What do we make of this Auburn team right now? I'm really intrigued by them because, you know, they were playing really great defense at the beginning of the year. I think they still are playing well. Ole Miss is tough to stop. I mean, everybody's had trouble with them. So, yeah, I don't think that looks bad. But the fact that they can keep rolling up points like this and rushing the ball like they are uh, is really impressive. So, I don't know. Auburn, like, they've got Georgia and two smaller games. So, we could be heading into an Iron Bowl for the SEC West title. And not many people would have thought that in the beginning. No, no, no. And Ole Miss, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm just scratching my head. You've had a really fun schedule to play, which I'm jealous of. But you have to feel like you're like the best losing record team in football by far, I imagine. That's not a lot of satisfaction, but that's there. <laughs> no, that's not a very comforting. No, not great. Texas A&M, 52-10 over New Mexico State. Nothing to, nothing yeah, really common on there, right? And finally, the fighting Will Muschamps, South Carolina, 24-21. They, they exercise some demons. They get a win against a big rival. Fires up Columbia. What did you make of that game? I guess Butch Jones cannot solve the puzzle that is Will Muschamp. He's lost to him every time, I believe. Really interesting result. I, you know, I thought South Carolina might be, you know, frisky in this game. So Tennessee is a, you know, a goal line fumble away from losing to Appalachian State, a hail mary away from losing to Georgia. You know, if they don't have that third quarter against us, they would have like one or two wins on the air. The wheels are coming off in Knoxville. You know, on Twitter today it says that Jalen Hurd has quit the team, just transferring, which is really weird. Not good times up there. Yeah, we thought if we had beaten them, they would have imploded. Well, it turns out that Will Muschamp beat them, and they are, in fact, imploding. South Carolina is becoming a formidable opponent, though. We had looked at this as like, ah, ah yeah, we're just going to kill him. But I said before the game to my friends in Jacksonville that, that hey, I think South Carolina is going to win this game. And I thought it was because he would have a great plan to stop him. And, oh, by the way, that was to frequently drop eight guys in coverage, which is something we just, not to, to continue to beat a dead horse here, but <laughs> something we just did not do. And so Will Muschamp saw the lesson that was there. He employed that. Josh Dobbs continued to be exactly who we thought he was. More importantly for Will Muschamp, though, is he's got an 18-year-old kid playing quarterback who should be a senior in high school right now. He graduated a whole year early, so take that in for a second. Beating Tennessee in year one of his tenure. Impressive. If you're a Tennessee fan, I don't even know how I process that, thinking that a senior in high school just beat my team. But that kid is good. He can play. So I don't know. Do you think that's the end for Butch Jones? I think it has to be the end for Butch Jones because you have to have full control of your team. And when everyone's jumping off ship, there's not a lot of respect for the head coach there, rightfully so. But more importantly, does this signal a potential upswing for Will Muschamp? Everyone has always said if he gets a quarterback, he could be dangerous. I don't know. I think he's still too That's variable. Very early. That's still too very variable. Early. But I'll, all I'll tell you is that South Carolina game looks a whole lot more scary. It does. It does. Because he knows how to stop opposing offenses pretty well. So interesting. interesting we'll get there, there. We'll get there in a week or so. We'll we, get there. We will get there. November. Shaping up to be a fun one. Okay, well, let's take a look at the national games. Wisconsin knocks Nebraska off from the ranks of undefeated. 
That was a great game. I wasn't sure how real Nebraska was. They kept winning, but that game proved to me that's that's a good football team. I think both those teams are solid. You know, I think Nebraska people thought, well, undefeated, maybe they still got a higher ceiling. Wisconsin is super tough to play. I think both those teams are solid, but not. You know, they probably belong. You know, in the ten to fifteen range. Uh, you know, also two more undefeated teams going down. The Big Twelve loses their undefeateds in West Virginia and Baylor. We said before the season that we didn't think a Big 12 team would make the playoff, didn't think a Pac-12 team would make the playoff. So far, the Big 12's holding up its end of the bargain. However, Washington... Yeah, Washington takes one step Washington closer. Washington beats a really stingy and difficult Utah team on the road to take one step closer. They didn't blow the doors off of them, but it's hard to win against Utah. That was a solid win. there, And that is a good win. So don't underestimate that if you looked at the score and thought, hey, Washington didn't kill them. They're not for real. That's a no, good Utah's one. That's a legit. tough win. That's Utah's a good legit. team to beat. So... They continue to have an excellent year out there. Uh, so now, with that business being taken care of, let's look at Arkansas this week. This game, from the beginning, Alan, both you and I predicted this to be a loss. We're going to see if we still think that. This is an interesting game for a lot of reasons. Arkansas comes off of a frustrating start to their season, which is a narrative that they have lived with in the past. It's a team that generally closes with tremendous strength in the month of November, and they finish the season very strong. Florida, we continue to be more of the same. Excellent defense. People not necessarily sure what we are nationally. We are favored, though, by four and a half points. Interesting. So it seems that we are building momentum. I've seen articles this week that Florida is a legitimate playoff contender. People are starting to take notice of us. I think this line indicates that. When you look at the matchup stats, they're pretty interesting. We have a lot more in common with Arkansas than you would imagine. Our run-pass breakdown is almost exactly the same. A lot of our offensive stats are almost exactly the same. So, in fact, if you look at both of our offenses, you could say they're equal with some different strengths. And if you look at the defense, that's where, once again, we have a vastly superior matchup. Arkansas has a a bottom 10% defense. We have a top 2% defense. Big matchup advantage there, but this is a long way for us to travel. And it's a home game, and Arkansas generally plays much better at home than they do on the road. So I don't know if I am as confident as I was coming into the Georgia week where I said, look, I've watched them play. I've seen this game in the stats. It's going to be really hard for Georgia to win. I can create a lot of narratives where Arkansas can win this game, even though we do have some decided advantages when it comes to our defense versus their offense in certain phases of the game. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. That. It's it's interesting. It's really it's just an interesting situation. One big thing that I'll be looking for this week, I'm gonna talk more about it, is Arkansas gives up a lot of sacks and we create a lot of sacks. And if you look at the Bama game where Bama just gave up a million yards against Arkansas, but turned them over five times, really kinda of knocked him out of the game earlier on. Arkansas is prone to turning it over. So that's something I think we're gonna to want to look for. We're going to want to figure out. But it's just a weird game. I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about this game? I have no great feeling. Uh, I, you know, we came into the year, like I said, there was a game that I circled on our schedule that I thought we were most likely to lose. It was on the road at Arkansas. And that's for a variety of reasons. The strength of the West versus the East. Traditionally, UF has not done well in these SEC West road environments. I can think of lots of weird losses to Mississippi State and other kinds of games. So... Didn't have a good feeling about it. Now, they've not played the kind of football that they wanted to play. I think people assume they're ascending in this Brett Bielema era. Like you said, it's been a struggle. And they have closed well in recent years. I think that was a result of them pounding people. Those late-game wins against LSU, or late-season games against LSU and some of those other teams, they just ran all over them. 
this Arkansas team isn't constructed like that. So I don't know if that means anything, if they're going to continue to grow in November like they have previously. They're kind of a mystery team to me. I don't know what to make of them. They've looked good at times. They've looked horrific at times. See the Auburn game. I don't know. I don't know what to make of them. This game feels really wild from both ends. Yeah, one thing you mentioned was the, the rushing. You think of Arkansas, you think this team runs the ball a lot. Well, this year they're they're running it 52% of the time and passing it 48% of the time, which is exactly what we are, except they're, they're the 115th best rushing team in the country. 115th, which is crazy to think of a Brett Bielema team that's built upon running the ball to be that way. Now, they have changed their identity, which is a lot of it. So they, they pass the ball much better than they run. So coming into this game as a Gator fan, if you haven't paid attention to Arkansas, you have to reorient yourself. This is not a line of scrimmage team. In fact, that's been their weakness. They're a passing team that's really built upon moving the ball down the field with the pass, not the run, which you would think favors us. I would agree with that situation. And on the defensive side, they're 128th against the run which you would think, hey, that's great. That's how Auburn beat them. Auburn averaged 10 yards of rushing yeah, in that game, and they didn't they have wanted. to do anything but run the ball. Yeah, I don't think we're capable of that kind of rushing output. We haven't been against really anybody yet no. at an average point. But something important to watch, if we can generate the running offense, we should be able to score points on this defense. They give up 444 yards a game. They give up 6.8 yards per play, which is amongst the absolute worst in the country. So there's a lot of matchups that we have to like when we watch film this week preparing for this game. It's interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask you, and I'll answer, then I'll ask you. It's like, do you think of this team as talented? Like I'm talking about the Arkansas team. I don't know that I think about them as talented. I usually think about them as tough. And if that toughness isn't there, I don't know what they really have. Now, Austin Allen, I'll get to him in a minute. I like him a lot. But do you think of Arkansas as a talented team? No, you don't, and that's actually why I thought that they would be a good matchup to beat us because they were so tough. And if you look at that, you would think tough team can get to us. We struggle offensively controlling the line of scrimmage. We could make mistakes, but this is not that Arkansas team. They have a little bit of a funky identity. So you're right to say that they're not talented and they're not tough at the same time, which is why they've had a hard time beating talented teams this year. And it's also why they've been uncharacteristically beaten rather handily once maybe even twice if you look at the collapse at AM, which is unlike a Brett Bielema team traditionally so that's an interesting point to note we you could argue would have a toughness edge on them going into this game which I don't know that would be the perception of the casual fan no and I really like Austin Allen little brother Brandon Allen who had a really successful career there at Arkansas he's looked excellent at times making some big time throws He's not a, a huge guy, but he'll stand in there and pocket and take some hits. I mean, that's been part of their problem. He's also been sacked a bunch. But they can be dynamic throwing the ball. I don't know if that means they can do that against us. But he's a guy who's got a lot of moxie. He's smart, good arm strength. You know, he can make most of the throws. So that scares me a little bit. I think he's, I would say, definitely the best quarterback we faced. I mean, Eason might end up being that. But we haven't seen a guy who can throw dimes across the field like he can it's also the best receiving core that we will have faced both accomplished and talent wise georgia's been decimated with talent in the receiving core you can see that in that game nobody i, I mean you watch on the film no one was ever open which is why eason did such a good job 
And everyone else we played has been really overmatched. The one team that got us was Tennessee, and their receiving core really has some talented guys on it, but haven't been able to be that productive. Do well, the they're physical situation. guys. They're like, I'm going to jump ball you. I'm going to beat you down right. the, down the sideline. I'm going like, to cross the field in front of you. These Arkansas guys are are maybe more in the Antonio Callaway kind of mold where they, they're efficient playmakers too. So, yeah, you know, normally I think I would be like, well, they're going to be able to throw the ball. I mean, if our secondary is as good as we think it is, they shouldn't be able to do that consistently. And something to watch will be can our defensive line get enough pressure to not allow them get to get two-on-ones or three-on-ones on our safeties. And we've talked about it all year long. That is our weakness. It's on the very back end. Most teams don't have enough time to generate a matchup. And so what am I talking about? If, if we're playing a cover two, Arkansas can pre-snap, read that we're in a cover two. Uh, they can very easily send two vertical routes at one safety, and they can win that matchup. The problem is they generally don't have enough time when we're in a cover two shell to be able to put the pressure on the safety to make them make the decision and get the ball out. And so that's something to really watch. This is a vertical attacking offense. They like to build the outs, the hitches, the seam throws to get to those big ones. If we can continue to put pressure on them, that takes away a big weapon that they have in the downfield passing game, which is exactly what Alabama did to them. And it's why I turned it over so many times in that game. Yeah, they're, they're going to present problems uh, at least for certain parts of the game. And if we can make adjustments, I think we can handle them. They're coming off a bye week. You know, they didn't play well the week before. Um, so it's, I don't know if that's helpful or hurtful. I would tend to think it's helpful, chance to regroup. Um, how do you feel about them coming off a of bye week? In the NFL, if you are betting a game, you don't want to do two things. You generally don't want to bet a division game that's on the road when a team is coming off a of bye week. Well, this is not a division game. It's still a conference game. So there's not the familiarity with the opponents, which typically helps the home team more. So if you want to look at the best case scenario for Arkansas, this would be it. Bye week at home after getting drubbed with a bunch of college kids who are going to refocus. The only problem with that narrative is they they have nothing to play for. So again, I feel like it's sort of a Georgia game situation where if we can come out and we control the tempo early, it's going to send a message to Arkansas that, hey, you're not going to get us. This is not your day. I don't know how much fortitude they'll have, but they'll have more than they would have had if they didn't have an entire bye week to rebuild the optimism. So definitely a big challenge in front of us here, facing this team at home, long way to travel, different time zone. 3.30 game for us here, but 2.30 game for the players. Just a, just going to be a big test, a big test for us. I think an easier test than we were afraid of, but nonetheless, this is a big test. So let's talk about a few matchups. Um, let's talk about matchups we like and we don't like. What are some matchups you do like? on the Gators against the Razorbacks. I like our rushing defense against their rushing offense. That's something we have to win. We have to win first down. We did a great job against Georgia doing that, and that was really a key to the game. We have to win first down against them. If Arkansas is able to get themselves in third and three and third and four, they will become a very dangerous football team. And on the flip side, we have to be able to run the ball against them. We already know that we're not a very good passing offense. We know that. We know that Arkansas's biggest weakness is their rushing defense it's what's really caused them to lose games we have to be able to establish a run if we can't and we have to be in a close game relying on our pass on the road with Luke Del Rio who hasn't really played a road game yet and the one that we saw them play with neutral site in Georgia wasn't exactly all that encouraging running the ball is going to be at a premium to the point to where I could say like we said last week let's boil it down to one simple nugget let's go with rushing yards again if we can outrush them by a significant margin the odds are probably really good we win this football game. 
Yeah, the matchup that I like the most is our defensive line versus their offensive line. And I think both in terms of like stopping the run and creating pressure on the quarterback. If we give Austin Allen time to throw, I th- there's a possibility he carves this up. And so that that's going to be the matchup. And then, of course, like you said, running the ball for us is so paramount. I oh Gosh, I'm not predicting we're going to be able to run all over the place because every time we thought, okay, there's maybe a little more – you know, uh, room for this Missouri, you know, we've had some success, but we haven't looked excellent. Um, so I'm not going to predict a ton of rushing yards from us. It's possible, but I'm not going to predict that. Um, I don't know. What is there a matchup you don't like for us? There's not one that I, I hate, but we said, you know, the matchup for me is, is just a coaching matchup. I feel like that's taken care of, but our one game on the road against a really good opponent that was just a really sarcastic comment about Tennessee. Uh, we struggled with our in-game tactics. Our other road game at Vanderbilt, I think, yeah, Appleby was playing quarterback. I think we we struggled on offense to, to do what I would say would be what you'd want to do on the road. So we haven't played well on the road yet. That That's the unknown factor to me. Like, that's the matchup that scares me is the road game in and of itself. Um, not so much as the X and O's, I think, on a neutral site. I feel pretty good about it, but a ro- this is a road game, and we just have looked bad in our road games. So, true, big test for us to overcome here. Yeah, I, there's a lot that makes me nervous about it. When I, like when I look at the stats, I feel like some things we're trying to do, we'll be able to do. Okay, let's talk about keys for the game. I'm gonna talk about big plays. Can we get some big plays on offense? Um, either throwing the ball down the field or some explosive runs. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, as ballyhooed as our secondary has been, they've given up some big plays. Now they're really they've created some big plays, and they're tight in coverage, but they've been beat over the top by double moves. You know, if you put Jalen Taylor out there on an island, which is a huge boon for your defense to be able to just forget about a side of the field, those double moves have gotten them a few times. So that makes me nervous about that them beating us over the top. If we can limit those and put pressure on the quarterback, and we can create some big plays. I think we're going to win, and we could win handily. I think the big play narrative is is certainly a good one, and it's something Arkansas thrives on. And when you're on the road, you always want to really limit big plays because it really changes the complexion of the game. Our offense is going to be the X factor here. Our defensive guys are battle-tested. They've played road games. They've done well. Uh, aside from the one game where they weren't schemed in a good spot, they, they've been able to really answer the call. Our offense is the unknown. That's why I'm going to go with running the ball. Running the ball is the safest, most comfortable thing you can do on the road. If we can run the ball and we can win the time of possession battle, which will not be easy. Arkansas is the first team we have played all year that averages more time of possession than we do. So it's going to be interesting to who who wins the battle of time of possession. Who gets more plays? This game could go a lot of different ways. Uh, the emotion will play a big factor into it. So I think the team that runs the ball better is going to control the clock. They're going to control the tempo. They're going to calm down the situation either way so i'm going to look at that again to be my critical stat this week you can easily say that if a blowout's going to occur it's going to be because we force arkansas to turn the ball over which is true which means my second key is red zone scoring we continue to be amongst the bottom teams in red zone scoring if we want to win in the month of november against good teams we are going to have to score when we get in the red zone we cannot come away with no points in those situations that's what's going to decide these games as they get closer and closer and closer. 
it needs to start this week because the margin for error is getting smaller. We have to start improving upon that 72% red zone scoring margin. It just has to get better. So rushing the ball, number one key. Number two is putting the ball in the red zone and scoring points in those situations. Really crucial for this weekend. All right, let's talk about predictions. I'll go first. I've wanted to pick like a 30-point game for us or a 27-point game for us. Man, just seeing us on the road, how we've played, I'm hesitant to do that. I'm going to scale this back down, and I'm going to say uh, 24-17, Gators win. It's a tight one. You know, I wanted to say Arkansas, originally, like, they could score as much as, like, 24, 27 points. But it's hard for me to see them scoring that many points. It's also hard for me to see us scoring that many points. What about you? Yeah, we've got an extremely healthy defense. Last week, I had 27-10 if if, uh, Eddie makes the field goal. he, He nails my score. Uh, this week, I'm far less confident with what the actual score will be, but I feel like it should be something similar. And so because of that, I'm going to go with 24-13, to 13. although I could see that score being 24-13 Arkansas. I could see that score being a million different ways, but I'm going to go 24-13 Florida. I'm going to base that heavily on our defense and the matchup that we have and just the overall stats of, of their defense and, and the yards they give up, that should allow us to be the one that controls the time of possession. And I think that's what's going to lead to a game like that. But the first quarter in this game is going to be really important. Just really important for Luke Del Rio in particular. Yeah, and you know if this game was at home, I, I would pick us maybe a win kind of big. Maybe one of those Georgia scores like a predicted 30-13. to 13. Um but yeah, on the road like this, it's going to be a challenge for this team to, I think, get their footing. And it's a hostile environment there. I mean, they they do a good job of, you know, creating a, a nice atmosphere there. So that that's going to be tough. Um, I, I want to be confident in this team. I'm just not yet. Well, I think we we didn't learn a lot after the Georgia game. I think we will learn a lot after the Arkansas game. I'm excited to learn a little more about Arkansas. Let's get to our guest. Joining us today is Chuck Barrett, the voice of the Razorbacks. Chuck, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me. Let me ask first, how do Arkansas fans feel about Brett Bielema right now? Well, I mean, when you lose 56-3 to and you're coming off a, you know, a big loss, I don't think anybody's happy with anybody right now. But, you know, when you take a step back and you look at where the program is as opposed to where it was when it got here, um, it's light years ahead of uh, what it was four years ago. And so I think people, when they look at the big picture, they're satisfied with what's happened. Um, I think a lot of people are really upset about what happened at Auburn, not the least of which is uh, probably Brett Bielema and the players. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to answer that on the heels of a 56-30 to 30 loss. But I do think overall people are pleased with the progress of the program. So this isn't a situation in, in Arkansas where people are sort of bubbling up with, uh, hey, maybe this experiment isn't going the way that we want it. We're getting restless. There's, there's still pretty solid support behind Brett. Oh, I think when you add up the numbers, yes. I mean, there's always going to be people that, uh, you know, you lose a ball game in any form or fashion. There are going to be people every Saturday that are saying that, you know, this is not working and, and we need to do something else. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's time to, you know, it's time to cut bait. And, and there were probably some people that did that here. And, and, uh, but it's a very small group. It's the same group every week. And, and, uh, I'm not discounting what they say, and I'm not discounting what they think. But, but I do think when you look at the vast majority of Arkansas fans, again, they, 
Um, they didn't expect the Auburn game to happen, and uh, they're disappointed by it, and some of them are even angry by it. But, again, I think when you when you step back and you look at the big picture, um, the people that are that are calling for a change would, would have called for a change if they lost by two points. I mean, that, that, that's kind of how it goes. So looking at the offense, we know that from Wisconsin, Brett Bielema was a run-heavy coach. This year, Arkansas sits at a at a fifty two forty eight spread run to pass. Has this been a, a a shift on purpose to become a balanced team? Is this a temporary thing? Why has the running game become a much smaller part of of Brett Bielema? Well, I think you look at his offensive coordinator that came in a year ago, Dan Enos, and you look at what he did. His background: he was a head coach at Central Michigan. This is his offense, and. You know, Brett turned his offense over to him. And uh, Arkansas had a quarterback last year in Brandon Allen who could throw it. And they've got a quarterback this year and his younger brother, Austin, that can throw it. And so uh, you'd be foolish not to incorporate some of that into your offense. And I, I think that's the big part of it. Now, this year, um, there have been some struggles up front. I think when you look at what Arkansas has not been able to do offensively, it is consistently run the ball. And I think some of it this year has been because that's the way they can move the football is through the air. Um, I think last year they had more legitimate balance. I think they're working towards that right now. But uh, there have been some struggles on the offensive line. There's a lot of new players, and uh, they have, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it hasn't come along as quickly as I think they had hoped for, to be perfectly honest. So this year I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that that's just been the way they've been most effective uh, moving the ball and scoring points. Uh, but I do think when Dan was hired as the offensive coordinator, there was a conscious effort made toward balancing the offense. And unfortunately, in this day and age, if you don't run the spread, everyone thinks you're a running offense. And uh, um, I, I, I think when you really look at some of the numbers that Brett put up at Wisconsin as his time there wore on, they did throw the football a lot more, and they were much more balanced offensively but but sometimes people get pigeonholed you know from a public standpoint into one style uh but that's a long answer of saying this year it's been because they've just not run the ball as well certainly i mean that's a a challenge year in and out to try to figure out what your players are best at Uh, and on the other side of the ball with the defense statistically the razorbacks really struggling what do you think the major problems are on defense why are they struggling so much well, they can't stop the run. Statistically, I think that's, uh, um, you know, that's that's very evident. A lot of it has to do with just very frankly not getting lined up right, not hitting their run fits right. Um, they're a little thin at linebacker. Uh, they've, uh, uh, they've had difficulty on the back end uh, being in the right spot. A lot of times in the running game, I'm not talking about necessarily in the passing game. And when you look at what Auburn did to them on the ground, um, that's been the area where they have been uh, they've been most susceptible. Alabama did the same thing. Good teams have run on them, and uh, um, I think a lot of it just frankly has to do with personnel. I, I, I just don't think they're as good personnel-wise on defense right now as they've been. They've got some good players, uh, but uh, it's it's um, you know the numbers speak for themselves. And and when you look at where they are right now. When you can't stop it, you're not going to win very many games. So we've talked about a little bit of the struggle, maybe on both sides of the ball. 
Who are maybe one or two players on each side of the ball that Gator fans should keep an eye on during the game? Well, you got to watch the quarterback on offense. There's no doubt about that. Austin makes everything go. Now, he was hurt against Auburn, and, and he, um, um, he's been bothered a little bit by a bad knee, and I think you know, that's the real key for Arkansas offensively. He's He's got to be in the ball game. They've got to keep the defense off of him. Um, you know, Florida, even when they don't get sacked, they get hurries. And I think that's one of the things that uh, Georgia found out Saturday. And uh, that's a, you know, that's a that's a real area, I think, for Arkansas. Razorbacks have a freshman running back named Devois Whaley that I think is pretty good. The best part of their offense is probably the receivers. Uh, number one, Jared Cornelius is very good. Number 80, Drew Morgan's very good. Um, they've got some, in terms of their position group, and this kind of goes back to what you were asking about in terms of their balance a little bit earlier, their best players on offense are receivers. I mean, they, they've got a really good receiving core. So I'd watch those guys. Defensively, I think there's going to be a little bit of a shuffle up front this week. Um, there's a freshman defensive lineman named Kelvin Aguin, who will wear number three, who probably going to get a little more playing time this week. He's he's uh, as high-rated defensive lineman as Arkansas has ever signed. In our part of the world, we don't have an abundance of five stars, and uh, uh, we don't have four and five stars on every corner. And so uh, he's a legitimate five-star from our state, and that doesn't happen very often. So I think he's going to get a little more playing time this week. He's played some. Uh, he's he's not been bad, but uh, like a lot of freshmen, it you know sometimes it's the latter half of the season before it really kicks in. Um, I'd start with those guys. Is there a unit that you like their matchup against Florida for this weekend? Well, I like Arkansas's passing game if they can establish some sense of the run. Um, if they can give Allen time to throw. Um, I like Arkansas's receivers matchups against anybody. I, th- I think uh, uh, I think they're very good, but I think the real key is, you know, can you keep the defense off off the quarterback? Um, you know, when you're coming off a game where you gave up 56 points, I don't know that you can say defensively, yeah, we match up well with them there. Um, you know, Florida is not a great offensive team. Um, I do think if you can put some pressure on that quarterback, I think you can get him to make some mistakes. And I say he's a good quarterback. He's got a lot of talent, but like everybody else, you can put a little pressure on him. I, th- I think he'll, uh, um, I think he'll make some mistakes. But that's a big if. Arkansas has not consistently done that. And um, so, you know, in, in in terms of the matchups, you know, if you want to go mono a mono, I like Arkansas's receivers. Um, but so much of it, um, so much of it, and and, and it sounds. Um, you know, it sounds simple and it's not real complicated, but but so much of it's going to happen on that line of scrimmage. And uh, um, if Arkansas can't do better there than they did against Auburn, they're going to struggle. Um, but, um, you know, some sometimes the home field works wonders. Arkansas is a much different team against Ole Miss. I watched Ole Miss and Auburn play, and, um, you know, uh, um, as I sat there and watched it, I thought, gosh, you know, Ole Miss is playing, playing Auburn pretty well till right there at the end. But, you know, Arkansas won that game at home, and, and this is still a team that's won 11 of their last 15 in the league, so they're formidable, but um, they're going to have to do a lot better than they did the last time out. So let's take a look at, at culture. We know that you are an Arkansas guy, born and raised, lifelong fan, went to school there. 
You live in Florida now for part of the year. You married Bobby Bowden's <laughs> daughter. What's the biggest culture or style difference between Florida, you know, Gainesville, a team coming out of here, our fans going there, and then Arkansas? Is it a completely just different SEC environment than what you would experience if you're here in Florida? Oh, I think uh, it's a great football environment. It's a, uh, uh, it's a mountain town. Uh, Fayetteville's in the, uh, the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. It's a much different uh, – uh, Arkansas really has uh, uh, you know, two or three different parts of it that are very different from one another. If you're traveling from Florida by car, you're going to enter the state in the eastern, uh, eastern half, and it's not going to look anything at all like what it's going to look like when you get to Fayetteville. The eastern part of the state's farm, farm fields, flat, agriculture, uh, some of the richest and most fertile ground in America is uh, right along the Mississippi River. But when you get into the northwest corner, it's very mountainous. Uh, the leaves are starting to change just a little bit. Uh, it's a, uh, it's very much a college town. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It, it is, uh, um, uh, very much a small town college atmosphere. It's a pretty campus. Um, I've always enjoyed going to Gainesville, Arkansas and Florida don't play one another a lot. So I think we probably know less about one another, arguably than any other, uh, any of the other programs in the league. Um, but I think the people that come to Fayetteville will enjoy it a lot. It's 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 a very nice college town, nice people. Uh, Forbes magazine voted it the third best place in America to live uh, and the best SEC city. So uh, um, Fayetteville's got a lot going for it. So people that head to Fayetteville, Gator fans or the locals that are there, including yourself, <laughs> give us a restaurant recommendation, a local spot that you really enjoy <laughs> that kind of shows oh, the culture, the Herman. area. Where should they go? You've got to go to Herman's Steakhouse. Uh, it's a, it's, it's going to look like a dive from the outside, as all great restaurants do. And uh, order the prime rib, look at the decor on the wall. You'll see everything from uh, Razorback decor from the 60s to you know Bill Clinton when he was a law professor at Arkansas. So you'll see a little bit of uh, the town's history on the wall. When you walk in, I will tell you if those walls could talk, um, there would be some stories that, uh, given the fact we've had one president from here and another presidential candidate who taught here, um, if those walls could talk, there would be a lot, there'd probably be some bombshells coming out of there. But that's a, that's a historic place in Fayetteville. And if you come to Fayetteville, you need to uh, you need to go there. You got to be prepared to stand in line, but uh, it's worth the wait. Well, excellent. Before you go, give us a prediction. How do you think this game's going to go? I don't ever predict scores because I work for the University of Arkansas, and I mean, what are you going to say? Um, I will say this though: that um, if Arkansas does not keep Florida off the quarterback, it's going to be a long day for Arkansas but I will also say this if Florida cannot get to the quarterback it will be a long day for the Gators um, this team plays well at home this team can throw the football this team's got a decent offense despite what happened at Auburn um, Florida's defense has been as good as the league's had right now I think they're really really good um, I think they'd love for it to be a low scoring game um, I think that uh, I don't think Florida's going to put an abundance of points on the board, but uh, um, uh, I, I would I would not think it's going to be an up and down shootout like a lot of people think. It would not surprise me if the winning team's not even at thirty points. All right, well, thank you so much for being on. It's the voice of the Razorbacks, Chucks. Thanks for being on the show today. All right, guys, I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
before we close here, James, let's talk about the Gators in the rankings. Currently number 10th in the AP poll. The college football playoff rankings are coming out Tuesday night. So if you're listening to this later on the week, you already know this. Are you expecting them to be ranked higher or lower than 10th by the committee? I expect us to be 10th and 11th at the lowest and 9th at the highest. I think it's hard to make a case for us to be too different from that. What do you think? I think we're going to be a little bit lower. Higher would very much surprise me. I think our strength of schedule is going to hurt us all. Our our games are backloaded, partially because the LSU game moved, but we've got you know FSU coming up and you know uh, Arkansas. So I, I would expect it to be lower, maybe considerably lower. Uh, I don't know, uh, but that will change. Don't if you're a Gator fan, don't hit the panic button. Win all of our games. We're still very much in the driver's seat. Control our own destiny here. Um, okay, let's do a little buy or sell though. Gators at ten right now, like we said. Do you expect them to finish the season higher or lower than 10th? I would sell them right now. If if the Gators were a stock, this is where I would exit and say, thank you very much. Maybe I wait one more week, maybe two more weeks if you want to push it with South Carolina. Maybe you get up to six, maybe seven, something like that. But I think the safe money is how much more money would you make if you waited till six and then sold versus just selling now. <laughs> so lock it in, cash it out. Uh, I think that's the way to go. But I don't. Maybe we finish at, at 10th. I think the probability is more likely we finish somewhere between 15 and 20. I'm going to buy us here at this, and I would say, assuming we win a couple of these late games, even if we lose to Alabama, um, you know, we'll say this pre-bowl result because who knows about that. Um, I think we would close the season still relatively safely in the top 10 um, because I think the teams in front of us are going to get moved out there's not a lot of very strong teams this year it's, it's a little bit weak in terms of you know five through ten so i could see us sticking in there even if we lose a couple games let's look at the upcoming national slate this week it's a quiet set of games there is or there are two really good games one that's a massive game but first up let's pick a, a, a traditional trap game for florida state which no longer a trap game florida state five and three traveling to nc state Four and four, fresh off their loss against Clemson, fresh off the Jimbo Fisher rant about the officiating, which was definitely a bad call at a critical moment in that game. Florida State's had a weird year this year. They're certainly a good football team. NC State's been competitive in a lot of these big games. Florida State only favored by six, which shows you that the the odds makers think it's going to be close. What do you think? Oh, first I want to say calm down, Jimbo, because if you look at that replay, uh, their wide receiver is holding the defensive back as he goes around Dalvin Cook. So even if like the chop block or whatever was bad, and that's questionable, there was a definite hold that they could have called. So he's up there, Jimbo. Um, I'm going to take NC State with this. I like this NC State team. I think Florida State is going to be down coming this game. I would at least take the points if I was a gambling man. So I'm going to take NC State. This is an interesting game. I want to say that momentum-wise, this is a game that Florida State has to win. And if Jimbo Fisher is the caliber coach that some people think he is, he'll lose. He'll lose. And that other people think he is, he'll win. I think this is not like a defining game at all for him as his legacy. But if he wants to be considered with the the elite coaches of the game, this is a game he has to win. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Jimbo is not elite, but I do think that he has been really good. Doesn't get enough credit, even though they at times do some interesting things. I'm gonna say they win this game. Uh, Should be a fun one to watch. Nebraska travels to Ohio State, where Ohio State has looked pretty terrible. And Ohio State is favored by 17 and a half points. How in the world 
Is that the case? That's a really big number. But on the road, I'm not such a big believer in this Nebraska. We talked about them. I think they're solid. But they're not a team that I'm like, oh, they're going to go on the road and, and beat up Ohio State. Now this line is really big. But, you know, I think it would have to be get close to 10 before I would take Nebraska. If it's a one or two point spread or even a four or five point spread, I'm definitely taking Ohio State. So I guess I'm picking Ohio State here, but I would take the points. Yeah, I am 100% taking Nebraska and the points. As to whether or not they win, I'm not sure. It seems like the book is out on JT Barrett. They're having a very hard time passing the ball. I have not watched enough Nebraska to know if their defense matches up well. Vegas obviously does not think so. Because if you just use the transitive properties, you would assume Nebraska would be much closer than 17.5. But there must be something structurally that's going on there. Either way, it seems like a really odd point spread. So one to watch there. And then lastly, the big daddy, the big show. Alabama travels to LSU to play a night game. They are still favored by 7.5 points, Alabama is. Which is not normal when LSU plays a night game at home. What are your thoughts on this one? I think LSU gets exposed here a little bit. Uh, I don't think they're playing the kind of offense that structurally can withstand what Alabama wants to do to them. Uh, LSU is still very weak at quarterback. Even this guy is less of a dumpster fire than the previous quarterbacks. He's nothing special. He's merely solid, I think, at best. And so I think Alabama shuts them down. I don't think LSU is going to be able to score. I don't know. I it. Seven and a half feels kind of right to me. Alabama's just been crushing people. So until they don't do that, I'm going to have to stay with Bama. Yeah, this is a weird game because LSU, 18 returning starters, everyone healthy, lots of positive momentum right now. Night game, all the demons of Les Miles gone, so to speak. Alabama comes in with a, they, they don't pass the ball well at all. They rely on running the ball and turning the ball over. LSU doesn't really turn the ball over all that often. I could see a way this game stays really close for a while, the kind of style of football LSU wants to put out there, but I just don't know. Bama seems to be exceeding my expectations. I keep thinking they're going to stumble. I want to look at this game and say this is a likely stumbling block, but then I say do I really think that Ed O is going to put together a series of events to beat Nick Saban in a rivalry game of this magnitude? Probably not, no. So 7.5 does feel right in this game. This game will tell us a lot about both teams, I think, though. Indeed. Um, Bama's, running, back, yeah. Yeah, Bama's run a gauntlet that is that is incredible right now. They're on such a roll. It's unreal the past two years doing what they're doing. They just defy all conventional wisdom. And is LSU closer to the team people thought they were going to be, or are they just a team that's mediocre? I, I don't know. I, LSU like has the talent, but... Like you said, the coaching matchup heavily favors. The only thing that makes me even nervous about it is LSU at night, and they seem to be magical at times there. So that's the X factor, I guess, in this situation. But, gosh, Bama, they're coming off a bye week as well. So good luck you know, playing Nick Saban coming off a bye week. So I, I don't know. LSU, I think this is a good – I'm glad that they're playing Bama before they play us. Hopefully that's going to derail their hopes and dreams a little bit before they <laughs> host the Gators. Yeah, bye week is a is a huge factor in this situation. The best coaches do really well with a bye week, and Nick Saban is no different. So like you said, good luck with that, LSU. Should be fun to watch regardless. And with that, we put a bow on this week's episode. As always, thanks for listening. This show wouldn't exist without you. Uh, if you want to go ahead and retweet the show, that'd be great. Even if you don't care about winning the Fan Essential stuff, retweet the show. The more people that know about this goodness, the better. Also, a big thank you to our producer this year, Amanda. 
Uh, she landed Matt Jones for us this week, did a great job, so thank you for that. And we look forward to being back with you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Enjoy the week. Go Gators. This is a message from the emergency stuffed crust warning system. Cheese! Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza now has three feet of cheese stuffed in the crust for just nine bucks. I repeat, it has three feet of cheese stuffed in the crust. Cheese! That concludes the message from the emergency stuffed crust warning system. Get a large Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pepperoni Stuffed Crust Pizza for $9. Top four national pizza chains. Extra Most Bestest Pizza versus large round one topping pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices. Three feet of cheese before cooking at participating locations plus tax. Pizza, pizza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.